Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship to all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. We are a ministry of unity. Hello and welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. I am your host, Justin Schell. We're so glad that you've joined us wherever you are in the world. And we hope that our time together strengthens your heart as you seek to know Christ and that it strengthens your hand as you seek to make him known to those around you. I want to make you aware of our website, reffellowship.org, R-E-F fellowship.org. That's where you can find out more about what we are all about here at the Reformation Fellowship, and we can keep you updated on news about events, resources, the gatherings, etc. Chatting with us today is Dan Kruver, Director of Student and Family Ministries at Heritage Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina, as well as the president and co-founder of Together for Adoption, and is also the author of a book published by Cruciform Press called Reclaiming Adoption, Missional Living Through the Rediscovery of Abba Father. Dan, we're thrilled to have you join us for this conversation today. Thanks for having me, Justin. Absolutely. Glad to be with you. Yeah, yeah. For those who may not know you, Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Help our listeners know who you are and what you do. So I've, I've been married uh, to Melissa for 28 years and coming up on 29 here, I uh, have a daughter who's 24, um, got married in this past COVID year. And mm-hmm. then um, she lives in Charleston. I have a son who's a freshman at North Greenville University. And then a son who is uh, a junior in high school. And uh, I, I serve as director of student and family ministries at Heritage Bible Church and with the primary responsibility of leading our high school and college ministries and primary teacher. And that's what I, that's what I do full time. And then I uh, have the opportunity to serve with, uh, with Union US too, which, is, which has been a great honor and, and joy for me the last uh, several years. Before uh, being on staff here where I am currently, I, for about eight years, um, led Together for Adoption, started back in 2008, and our primary focus is to think through the theology of adoption as it relates to orphan care and families deciding to adopt children, just helping Christians to think theologically about it. And so, so the, the book, Reclaiming Adoption, Missional Living Through the Rediscovery of Abba Father, kind of grew out of uh, those first um, couple years uh, together for adoption that provided me an opportunity to help serve the church to think theologically about orphan care and children who are in need of, of a family. Yeah. Dan, what caused the theology and, and practice of adoption to become something important for you? We, we had a, our, our daughter back in 1996, and then in 1999, we had a, a son who um, ended up having a brain disorder called infantile encephalopathy, which is a brain disorder of unknown cause. And he would, he would have 40 to 70 seizures every day. Mm. 
And um, so we, we were taking him to various doctors, took him to Duke University and Emory and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And then the, the last major one was Johns Hopkins, who told us that there's a likelihood if we had another child biologically, that there was 25% chance that they'd have the same brain disorder. And so that, that, so he, he had an extended, I mean, he lived for three years, died about five weeks after his third birthday. And he just, he suffered constantly through the entirety of his life. Yeah. And so the Lord used our suffering in those three years. And then the, uh, the news of the potential of an, uh, our next child having the same condition to move us into thinking about adoption. So I, I think the, the the suffering aspect um, paired really well with thinking through. And I, I had I was I was in uh, church ministry at the time, uh, pastoral ministry, and so I was beginning to think theologically about adoption. And then that led into me going to teach um, theology at a university in in northeastern Pennsylvania where I was able to, to devote a, a considerable amount of time to thinking theologically about adoption, how it related to suffering. And mm. so that kind of shaped, shaped how we did Together for Adoption. I think when we looked at um, the global orphan crisis and the church's engagement in serving children who are orphaned, orphaned either lost one parent or both parents, um, and the suffering that was involved in their experience, uh, I think it paired really well with laying out a paradigm of the theology of adoption that embraced an understanding of suffering and how God uh, works uh, within time to uh, bring about ultimate renewal and how that should inform how Christians think about and engage caring for orphans and their affliction. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe let's, um, let's camp out there for a minute you guys are experiencing suffering. It's, it's leading you to think about the practice of adoption that, that then dovetails into thinking about the theology of adoption. Let's, for, for the listeners, help, help us understand what, when you say theology of adoption, what do you, what do you have in mind? So when I, when I say adoption, I'm, there's, there's only one biblical author that actually uses the term, weathesia. So, um, translated a number of ways. Often it's translated as a phrase, adoption as sons, and there are some translations that'll say uh, translate it sonship. But the Apostle Paul is the only one who actually uses the term. So when, I, when I'm thinking theology of adoption, my primary focus is to say, all right, what is Paul doing with the term? And uh, he uses it five times, and what he actually does with it is he uses it to trace the entire story of redemption from before time, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, um, all the way to the consummation of redemption with the redemption of our bodies. So Paul is tracing it. So not only are we thinking theologically about what does God do in adoption, but we're also thinking redemptive historically, God's work throughout time mm. to bring fallen sons of Adam to himself through Jesus and climaxing at the cross. And then what is our experience between the cross of Christ and the return of Christ as uh, adopted sons? And then what is the hope that we live with in between these two times as we await our adoption, Paul says in Romans 8, 23, the redemption of our bodies. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm thinking of uh, when I say theology of adoption. Yeah, so stretching back eternity past, the father sets his heart on on children, on adopting 
And then in time, we see Christ coming as the son, mm-hmm. uh, and then, but not keeping his sonship just to himself, but, but giving it to us as the father calls us into the family. And in a sense, in terms of the time frame here, we are adopted. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are children of God. And yet there is some, it sounds like future fulfillment, fuller fulfillment, you might say, uh, yep. that still awaits. Is that right? Yeah. So Roman, Romans 8 makes, so when Paul says in that section of Romans 8, uh, 23, where he says, uh, we are, we're, we're groaning inwardly like creation as a whole. So creation has been subject to decay because of Adam's sin. Mm. So the created order is in this period of, of suffering. And so creation's groaning, inanimate creation is groaning. And so Paul says, and we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly too. And in our groaning, what comes out of that is an eager awaiting for the completion, the finalization of our adoption which is actually the redemption of our bodies. And so we enter into the fullness of our adoption, adoptive position. And Paul says in that chapter as well, that when that creation is awaiting for its freedom, which will be revealed when the children of God are revealed. And so uh, the, the, the fallen world and all the suffering that takes place and all that's broken with time and space is actually awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God, Mm -hmm. the children of God. Mm -hmm. So you could say that God's answer to the broken cosmos is adoption. Is adoption. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, you can even refer to redemptive history. I think this is Dave Garner, Dr. Dave Garner at Westminster. He, he he likes to refer to it as adoptive history. Mm. And I think that's a great way. I, I think it's beautiful in that saying adoptive history actually puts the father's love through the son in the spirit, in the center of what our triune God is doing throughout the entirety of, of redemptive history. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, then let's take that. So that's the theology of, of adoption. And But we're talking about sonship and suffering. How uh, we see that at the end, the answer to the, the the groanings of all creation is is sonship. How how has the theology of adoption been a support for you personally during times of trial? Um, so, what what I have found especially helpful, and it's something that I've I really try to lean into, is two two times when Paul uses the word adoption. Romans 8, 14 and 15, and then Galatians 4, uh, verses 4 through 6. And in verse 6 there, he, he uses, he, he says in Romans 8 that it, it is by the spirit of adoption that we cry, Abba, Father. And then Galatians 4, 6, he says, so, so the son was sent by the father to redeem us for adoption as sons. And then verse 6 says, and since you are sons, so the son was successful in accomplishing our adoption. Mm. He says, we've been given the spirit of his son who cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. So the only other time that the words Abba, Father are found on the lips of a man in the New Testament is in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, where Jesus, uh, Mark's the only one who gives this to us is when Jesus is saying, not your 
not my will, but your will be done. He cries out, Abba, Father. And so there's Jesus, a very intense suffering as he, he's on the very precipice of the cross and he cries, Abba, Father. Mm. And so there's a, there's a, Jesus is actually drawing us in by the spirit into not only participating in um, his suffering and the benefits of his relationship with the father, but that actually um, I've, I've, find that to be extremely encouraging and comforting that when I find myself crying father in, um, I've, I've had some really dark nights of the soul. Mm. Um, when I find myself crying father, the spirit uses that to show a fellowship with Jesus and his sufferings that mm. Jesus is allowing me to, to call upon the father. His, his suffering in the garden of Gethsemane was infinitely worse than any suffering I experience now. And yet he does not minimize our suffering, mm. but he invites us by his spirit. So the spirits work. If we can't by the spirit cry, Abba Father, the spirit cries, Abba Father within us. Mm. And so that, that um, over and over again has given me immense comfort while I'm suffering and maybe can't articulate much beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. So I can, you know, as, as, as we've been talking about this, I can see how, okay, this is helpful for me in my, my walk with the Lord, especially in, in tough times. But is this, is this really as important as, as it sounds like? I mean, you've, you've led an organization, you've taught Bible and theology, you're, you're currently on staff of the church. Is understanding our adoption actually important in all those roles? Uh, or maybe another way to say that, how has the truth of the doctrine of adoption served you as a leader, as well as those you've served in, in those different contexts? Yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, it certainly does. Um, I mean, when, when Jesus gives us, you know, what we call the Lord's prayer, calling God, our father can't happen unless adoption is a reality is, is the reality. So there's no way into sharing the son's relationship with the father other than through adoption. So it, it, it puts us at the very center of Christian life, both objectively and subjectively. So objectively, there is no knowing God as father unless the work of Jesus as the son sent to become one of us to redeem us unto adoption. And that's what Paul says in Galatians 4 is sometimes we think that redemption is was God's primary ob- objective, but Paul says that we were redeemed unto adoption. And so mm. connecting adoption with redemption is actually showing that redemption itself is to put us in relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So it has implications for not just, you know, how we think of children who are in need of families or, but actual our Christian experience and how uh, we relate to him and how how we disciple others in their uh, living in the reality of the of, of the gospel. Mm. Could you unpack that a little bit? What does it look like to have adoption shaping the way we disciple? I'm you know I, I, I teach I teach high school students and college students and this year I've been taking them both through Ephesians. Mm. Um, so we're about halfway through. With, with both groups. And what, what I love about, about what Paul does there is, you know, he starts out 
chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing or every blessing that belongs to the spirit in the heavenly places. And so Paul begins the, this letter by highlighting the generosity of the father and what the father has already provided us uh, through Jesus Christ. And at, at the very uh, front end of that is he, he puts adoption that this this work which we see in redemptive re- redemptive history unfolding uh, actually began before creation when God predestined us to adoption as as sons and and so um, how we how we think about every aspect of Christian doctrine in Ephesians and Christian behavior in Ephesians all links back to God being a very generous father to us. Mm. And chapter one, verse 10, he says that his objective is to unite all things in heaven and all things in earth in the Messiah, Jesus, which is pointing us forward to the day when everything in heaven and earth is renewed and we're we're living on a new earth and we're able to do so because we have a father who is incredibly generous to us. And so the more we understand the father as generous to, toward us and as someone who is, who is inclined to give to us all of these great, gracious gifts and to be mm-hmm. merciful to us, when mm-hmm. we begin thinking about um, what does the behavior of a Christian look like, we are uh, obeying the commands of scripture, not in order to earn the favor of, of God as, as a judge, but because we are lavished with God's fatherly gifts, mm. his goodness to us. And so it, it, it really begins to change the motivation for why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, knowing that we're fully, we're fully accepted yeah. by the father in the son. Mm. So reor, reor, reorienting, a, you know, a, a high school, guys thinking towards a father and, and not not all high schoolers have loving fathers and so right. i think a key discipleship point there is to say well let's let the fatherhood of god define how we understand fatherhood mm. and um and you can see that slowly begin to to change the way they view their own fathers and they find themselves better able to submit to their fathers who uh, may not do a, a good job with them overall. Yeah. Walk us through maybe uh, a relationship with a, a a young guy who who you're discipling. I mean, I can just imagine if, if they were a young man like, <laughs> like I was, one, they would have thought of God as a uh, maybe a cosmic uh, hall monitor or a James Torrance calls that kind of God a, a contract God. You, you've got something you need to do. And if you fulfill that contract, then maybe God will, will bless you or let you live or uh, <laughs> depending yeah. on how bad your, your, how badly skewed your idea of God is. Uh, how do you start to walk with guys and gals, young people uh, from, from that place where they're much more Islamic in their view of God than, than Christian, really, um, to, to understanding adoption? Well, I, my, my approach is I really, so in, in all my teaching with teens, so I've, I've been on staff here at this church for three years now. And so over time, 
I really put the accent on who the father is, what is his disposition to us. So in all my teaching, that's where I, I really put the accent on the kindness of the father. So whenever we're, we're talking about a text that is pressing up um, our responsibility before God as image bearers, mm-hmm. and we're feeling the weight of that responsibility, um, I always try to accent that here is the father's disposition to you. And I see over time, high schoolers begin to, to ask questions um, because it's really, it really is difficult to believe that the father is so inclined um, to do, to to shower his goodness upon us. I think it's Walter Mm -hmm. Marshall in his book, the gospel mystery of sanctification says that it is impossible to obey God if you're not convinced that he loves you. Mm. And so in all my teaching, what I'm trying to do, both with high schoolers and college students and with the parents of our high schoolers, is to convince them that the Father loves them. And that takes, that, that, that's, that is what sanctification is. I think Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, The Children of the Living God, he's, he's dealing with uh, Luke 15, the what we call the parable of the prodigal son. And he says, uh, I'm paraphrasing, that the prodigal's suspicion was that the father really doesn't delight in him, that the father really doesn't love him. And that's, we all carry that prodigal suspicion. Yeah. And so I'm convinced that putting the, the accent and the stress on who the father is, mm. That behind, I think uh, D.F. Torrance talks about, he was, uh, he was uh, a chaplain in Europe, and he had a, a young uh, 19-year-old soldier about to die, and, and the young soldier asked, you know, is there another God behind the back of Jesus? And um, the mm-hmm. gospel is, no, uh, you have the Father behind the back of Jesus, and what you see of Jesus is who, what you see of the Father. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think that's, I think that's just the key. Mm. Um, to discipling, not just uh, young people growing up, but uh, even adults in their latter years of of life, uh, Mm. believing, being convinced that the Father does indeed love us and delight in us. I I came to the theology of adoption, not certainly not in high school or college, but as a, as an adult. And it is what you, what you're saying here that I had to have my view of God uh, completely renovated. It, it had to be discipled out of me, these, these bad ways of thinking about God. I remember uh, one time just praying, and uh, before I could stop it, it slipped out. I said, God, I feel like you're just putting up with me. Yep. And, um, and uh, not an audible voice, uh, but, but a, a sense, I think the Holy Spirit convicting me, the, the comeback was, what kind of a God do you think I am? What must hmm. you think of me? Hmm. How, how bad of a father must I be for that to be the case? And that was part of the turning point. It was recognizing how off on God I was, but then having friends, mentors, authors, writing, speaking, helping me see more clearly. And it, it's made the biggest difference in my life. Um, yeah, so I'm thrilled to hear that that's happening for 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds and older. 
Well, everybody's hungry for it. That's what we, I mean, it's, it's such good news, mm. but it's, it's good news that we, we, we've got to hear over and over. I think Walter Marshall also said that there's sanctification involves both the, the constant unlearning of our fallen condition where we're easily, we easily find ourselves um, falling into a, a legal spirit where we have to, we feel like we have to earn God's yeah. favor. So we have to constantly unlearn that. And then we have to constantly relearn that the father uh, loves us. And that's where sanctification is where growth happens. Yeah. Now you, you've, You've talked about the the youth there at the church. What about their families? Are you is the uh, the theology of adoption good news for families? Is it is it impacting the fathers that you know there, the the mothers, the daughters, the sons that you're working with there? Yeah, I I had uh, I've had a, early on I had a, two fathers mention to me that they and this is probably within a three month span mentioned to me that they intentionally want to make it difficult for their children to confess their sins to them, um, mm. Mm. which, which is really a failure to understand the fatherhood of God. I think it's, I, I think that understanding comes from seeing God primarily as judge and not because of Jesus, primarily our father, because God moves from judge to father for us when we're adopted. Uh, into into the household of God, and so I I, I see that um, I saw that, and that was one of the reasons why you know I said this the doctrine of adoption and the fatherhood of God is so essential to parenting because it it does shape the way you view your relationship with your children and your efforts to disciple them because obviously these fathers care about the spiritual state of their children, but their approach was not being informed by the fatherhood of, of God, which mm-hmm. then makes you think, okay, so they're, they're probably like me and that they're struggling with being convinced that the father loves them as well. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a common struggle. And one of the things that we, we try to do every year. So this, before uh, we, we jumped into Ephesians with the, with the teens in September, we did a, a full Saturday, uh, four hours of me meeting with, uh, parents and anyone else in the church who wanted to participate and kind of walking them through Ephesians from the angle of the, the generosity of the father toward us. Mm. So exploring that, unpacking that so that the parents and these dads and moms would feel the generous generosity of the father toward them right now mm. and then make applications, getting to chapter six and um, how the children are to relate to their parents obey in the Lord and then fathers not provoking their children to anger. Mm. And I think understanding the father's generosity toward us and, and how that, sh- that, that actually wins our hearts to him. So we're not afraid to approach him. We're not afraid to confess our sins um, because we already have this, his full acceptance that I think over time we'll see more and more fathers um, having their relationship with their children transformed. Mm. Praise God. Yeah. Well, speaking of families, Dan, I know that you guys have recently gone through a very unexpected and difficult season as a family. You lost your mom and dad, both to COVID and both within about 48 hours of each other. Um, 
Um, how does adoption carry us through heartbreak and loss like that? Uh, well, I mean, I, go, I, I touched on this when talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Um, but where, where, it's re- where it's really, I mean, I, especially the, the, the days leading up to the death of my parents when we, we kind of knew um, that dad was going to die but had a hope that mom was going to live and having to make decisions for dad and for mom without them being involved in the decision-making process for each other, just the weight of those decisions and uh, knowing uh, what the outcome was likely going to be for dad. And then, um, and then finding very quickly that that was going to be the same outcome for mom. My, my prayer, my prayer life really boiled down to just being able to muster the word father. Um, That's really, that was really the extent of my prayer and saying it over and over and over and doing that in a way that didn't feel like, okay, God's not going to hear me because I'm not using, I'm not, I'm not praying rich, apparently rich theological prayers or but knowing that because of adoption, because I'm united with Jesus, adopted in the Son and through the Son, that saying Father was perfectly aligned with what Jesus even did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And mm-hmm. so I found great, great comfort in knowing, even with the brevity, brevity of my prayer, the Father was hearing it and the Spirit was taking those groaning because really when you're in the midst of suffering like that, we have the spirit of adoption who is, who is interceding for us words that we we cannot utter. And so that's really what my, in those weeks, that's really what my Christian faith boiled down to was just that God is, is my father. Yeah. Yeah. Such a rock, such a, a foundation in the, in the midst of, of suffering to know that, yep. that that really unshakable decree that uh, that we belong to him yep. uh, changes everything. It really does. Well, then let's say I'm a minister uh, and I find myself in what feels like an unbearable season, uh, maybe of pain, uh, maybe maybe it's because of loss or betrayal or um, just worn out. But I'm 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 leading God's people. And I'm, I'm just empty. What would you want that minister to know? Um, so besides what I've already talked about, what I, what I find myself leaning into, because you don't, grief doesn't just happen when someone dies, mm. but grief can happen um, with the death of what we view our ministry to be or what we had hoped it would be. Um, the death of relationships. Yeah. Um, grief always accompanies those things. And so what I do, and this has largely become more and more of an instinct to me, is I, I go to John 11, where you have Mary and Martha lost their brother Lazarus. Yeah. And uh, Jesus delays intentionally so that the glory of the father can be revealed in raising Lazarus from the dead. So as, as he approaches Bethany, Martha comes out to him and says, Lord, if you'd been here. So she's obviously hurting deeply, profoundly. 
Mm-hmm. And his simple answer to her is to say, um, you know, I'm the resurrection of, and the life. And, and she, she affirms that. And then Jesus continues on. And then he, he sees Mary and weeping and the Jews that are with her. And what I, what I love about, so this, this always, always um, helps me immensely is that what Jesus did with Martha, he doesn't do with, with Mary. So she's grieving deeply and Jesus could have repeated to her. Yes. You know, I, I told Martha that I'm the resurrection and the life. So I, I've got this and here's what I'm about to do. Don't, don't grieve anymore. Uh, he does not interrupt her grief. He does not minimize her grief. He actually steps into it with her and he actually faces the grief with anger towards that which caused the grief and that's death. Yeah. And Jesus greets death with with anger. And I think John Calvin says that he, he, he didn't come as a as a spectator, but he actually came as one to wrestle with our greatest enemy, death itself, which is the cause of, of all our grief. And and so when you know John eleven thirty five says Jesus wept, the Jews look at Jesus and go, Oh, how he loved Lazarus. And so I, I think I think what Jesus does there is he frees us to grieve really deeply. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you hear people say, well, we grieve, but we grieve as, as those who are not without hope. But that doesn't mean our grief is any less. I think, I think it frees us to grieve even more deeply because Jesus, it can be argued that he grieved more deeply at the death of Lazarus than uh, Mary and Martha did. Mm because he knew uh, what death actually brought into God's good world and the, the rupturing of relationships that death caused. And so I, I think Jesus frees us there not to run from our grief, but to actually allow grief to deeply affect us and not be, a, not be afraid of it and not feel like it's to, to grieve deeply is to, to be less Christian or less, as you, you know, someone might say less spiritual, but mm. actually the way by which we come to terms with sin and death's impact upon the Father's good world and what it is that Jesus has come to do. And so Jesus then, what we are impotent against, he steps in and conquers it for, for Lazarus there, looking forward to the, the day when he himself raises from the dead. And so this fits right in with adoption, that we're awaiting for that final realization of our adopted sonship when we receive uh, the redemption of our bodies. So I, I that that's that just that whole line of thinking has been really helpful for me mm-hmm. um, with whatever kind of grief I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, as we as we wrap up here this episode, Dan, give us your recommendations. We we love uh, resources here. So uh, someone maybe is brand new to uh, the theology of adoption, or maybe there's some people who are listening who uh, they've got a, a pretty good foundation, but want to want to press in and, and, and uh, make this more central to their, to their lives and thinking, what are, what are a handful of resources you would recommend? So I would, um, I always like to recommend Sinclair Ferguson's little book, Children uh, of the Living God. Mm. Um, he does a, he does a great job of so it's not about adoption proper as I defined it earlier. It's only dealing with the Pauline text, but he's he's more dealing with um, the theology of being a child of God mm-hmm. 
broadly, but it, he does a great job of tying it into Adam being an image bearer. And that's actually tied into him being a, um, a little S son of God that had uh, sinned and been banished. And so he does a great job of, of bringing it all together and showing um, the great love of the father and how it uh, in, should encourage us in our, in our daily walk with him. So I, that's a really helpful book. It's, it's, it's more on a devotional side mm-hmm. for someone who wants to go deeper into the theology of adoption itself. Um, it's a book by Dr. Dave Garner called uh, adoption. Oh, I just, uh, I just forgot the title. Uh, Sons in the sun, I think is the title of it. I'm sitting on my sons in the sun. I think it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. David Garner. It's, it's a really, it's, it's probably close to 400 pages, but it's probably the most thorough treatment out there Mm. right now. What is the most thorough treatment on the theology of adoption? Okay. Well, on the, the page for this episode, we will be sure to put both of those as well as your own, um, reclaiming adoption uh, for our listeners to consider. And uh, let me, Dan, just say thank you so much for being here with us on the Reformation Fellowship podcast. It was my pleasure to do so. Yeah, it's been a terrific finale for the first season. Uh, Thank you for ministering to us, for sharing your experience as well as your wisdom with us and our listeners. And uh, to our listeners, our time is up. We would love to stay in touch with you. The best way to do that would be to head over to reffellowship.org. That is R-E-F-fellowship.org. Sign up for our newsletter. We'll be able to keep you updated on upcoming events, upcoming resources, upcoming gatherings, etc. Thank you again for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. God bless.